Hello and welcome to the Stratford East podcast. In our latest episode, we're talking to performer and writer Rebecca Buckle about her show Hysterical, a hilarious history of hysteria. We've filmed her lecture, which will be available to watch for free from Monday the 29th of March on our website. Audio described, captioned and BSL interpreted versions will also be available. As ever, if you'd like to get in touch with us, then email podcast at stratfordeast.com or tweet us at Stratford East. Today I'm joined by Rebecca Buckle. Hello. Hi. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. Very Fab. good. Thank you for joining us. You are welcome. It's great to have you um, to chat about your show, Hysterical. And to kick things off, do you mind just telling us a bit about it and, and how it came into existence? Yeah, so Hysterical is, um, or to give its full title, The Hilarious History of Hysteria, is a theatrical lecture um, about the history of hysteria. So it's kind of like horrible histories for grown-ups, um, slightly more serious themes than horrible histories, but just as stupidly presented. Um, it's, it came about in a very odd way. Um, I was writing a play about the National Viewers and Listeners Association, who wrote lots of grumpy uh, letters to the BBC in the 80s and 90s, complaining about what was on TV. And there was a series of letters that were about um, a gay couple kissing on EastEnders that really sort of grabbed my attention. And the kind of thoughts about hysteria started to come into my mind. And I was thinking about writing this play called Hysteria, which was going to be about the mass hysteria around this episode of EastEnders. Um, but as part of my research, I decided to have a look into where the concept of hysteria came from, where the word came from. And I ended up down a bit of a, a rabbit hole, which completely changed where I was going. And the more I looked into hysteria, the more interesting it was as a start, but the more ridiculous it was from its like early conception in ancient Greece. And then it just continued to wind its way through history, um, not changing at all, where other medicine changed, it just didn't. And um, as an almost exclusively female condition in history, it was very interesting to kind of start seeing those parallels between hysteria as a diagnosis and then kind of uh, patriarchal kind of um, jazz along the way. But also I started to see um, correlations with my own medical kind of life. Um, I identify as disabled. I have a condition called Ehlers-Danlos. And it took 35, 34 years to be diagnosed with said condition. Um, and 34 years of different doctors telling me that I was a hypochondriac, basically. Um, and I belong to those forums like you all do on Facebook. Everyone gets together and shares their stories. And my story was the same as all these other women's stories, which was the same as all these women in history in hysteria. So um, it seemed kind of natural to me to start to put these stories together. 
Um, I could figure of no way to do this in a play and get the information that I wanted out. So I decided just to present the information, um, which was really fun. I've actually feel like I found a niche, like a happy place of just making people um, listen to my facts that I found out. It's, uh, it's my favorite place to be. That's really interesting that you've kind of cultivated and combined the, the knowledge side of things with the theatrical side of things, and you've kind of fused it together into this theatrical TED talk. Was mm. that always what you wanted to do? Uh, not, no. I mean, I've come on a slightly meandering kind of path. When I first went to university, I studied archaeology. That was my first um, degree, um, a science-based archaeology degree. And I was determined that I was going to go into kind of human remains and genetics and, and do all of that. And studying an archaeology degree kind of killed my love of archaeology for a while. <laughs> and, um, I went off and did lots of kind of random jobs as everyone does in their early 20s. Um, and kind of got to a point in my life where I felt I needed a, a rethink. And I would go back to the other thing that I was super passionate about as a teenager. And that was drama and, and acting. We didn't have any drama on the curriculum at my school. It wasn't allowed. So um, I, you know, went to outside groups and, and kind of did all of that stuff. Um, and so I did a drama degree and um, which also killed my love of drama for a while. <laughs> um, and but then I did a master's a couple of years ago, and that's where hysterical really came from. Um, because within the master's, I developed a love of solo performance, which I would have never have done before. And I was like, oh, this is great fun. Look, all the attention's on me. Um, so it kind of gave me the, the kind of um, confidence to create something on my own that was just me speaking. And just that love of archaeology still creeps into everything that I do. And researching feels a very natural thing to me. So combining the two together is just kind of, it was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. Yeah, it's great that you were able to combine so many different aspects of your life and your hobbies um, yeah. to actually do something you do, you are passionate about. That's, that's great. Um, with that solo performance idea, um, I wonder how did you find adapting it for a for a film? Uh, yeah, it was it was good. Um, it was hard in some ways um, because I'm quite uh, a frigid. Uh, standing still isn't my forte. So obviously, when you've got a camera on you, you, you can't meander over, all over the stage like I would in a in a theatre setting. Um, so that was quite quite difficult. I'm also a bit of a gesticulator I like big arms and again trying to control that uh, for a camera was quite difficult but filming has just it gave all these possibilities that I couldn't have on stage you know just as me trying to do things and when if people come to watch it they'll see that there's puppets and things going on and um, people in a theatre will you know use their imagination. They, they're happy to accept that you were on stage with a puppet and you're two separate entities. 
But filming just gives you that opportunity to actually separate those entities and, and, and give those different characters in a way that I just couldn't do on stage. So it's been really exciting to play with that and the possibilities of it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great that you just mentioned puppets as well, where, because uh, there are a few in the, in the film mm. and how, how did that start? How did your love of puppetry happen? Um, so really, this is going to, this is going to take a nerdy turn. So um, a friend of mine uh, loves the Dark Crystal films and um I'd had a bit of a tough time and he'd been a good friend. And I was like, I'm going to make him a fizz gig. So um, I made this little fizz gig. I didn't really know anything about puppetry. Um, and it was really good. And I loved it. And I took it to him and I was like, this is what I've made for you, but you can't have it because I love it and I'm keeping it. So um, <laughs> I then <laughs> I did make him a better replacement further down the line. Um but it just got me really into to, to puppetry. I've always been a crafty person anyway. Um, and the more I started making them, the more I enjoyed them. And um, it's lovely to create something and see it come to life. It's, um, and I just, but I'm also quite a silly person. I enjoy silliness in day-to-day -day life. I think it's really important that people allow themselves to be silly. Um, and puppets allow that so much. Adults will just become children again when there's a puppet around them. And I just think that's really joyous and I really love that. Um, so I do try to sneak puppets into everything I do. <laughs> I think that's really clever. I think they're, uh, like, they're all, like you say, they're a way of almost disarming your audience and lulling them into something. And when you deal with stuff like heavy, heavy subjects, they are a good tool to kind of break the tension and 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 ease the audience, I suppose. That's the very reason that a certain character is a puppet um, in the show, um, because I didn't want to put him in a place of respect when I was talking about him. Um, I was very annoyed at everything he had to say. So um, by making him a puppet took away some of his kind of level of authority. Um, but it also allowed me to say things through him that I so wholeheartedly disagreed with, that I would have felt kind of uncomfortable with in another setting. So, it, yeah, you're right. It just disarms the audience and it allows you to present information in a, in a slightly safer way. Yeah, definitely. It's breaking down those power um, battles and those, those hierarchies. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that you hope people will get out of watching the film? Well, um, on, a, on a very basic level, just enjoyment. I hope people enjoy it. Um, you know, it sh you should find it kind of amusing, uh, but there's also a lot of history in it um, that hopefully will seep into some people. But there are, there are bigger themes kind of hidden in it. Um, and I hope that they resonate with people. I hope that people with chronic illnesses and disabilities can kind of see themselves in my story and, um, and get a little bit of a, 
oh, it's not me, it's them <laughs> kind of uh, feeling that, you know, it, 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 it's very difficult. And I think it's very difficult in this environment at the moment, um, considering the last year, to talk about um, any branch of medicine not being like just perfect. Um, and it's not a criticism on the medical professional as a whole, uh, but there are certain people working within medicine who just have very big egos and aren't willing to listen to anything else. Um, but it's also down to the teaching as well, you know, and I think we have doctors who have 40 years difference in the, the time they went to medical school. And so they learned very different approaches to medicine. And that really affects people still when they're trying to get diagnosis. So, yeah, I hope that people can see that and see that it's not them. They're not the problem. Um, and that if they persevere, you know, th there is ways forward. Um, and obviously it's a bit of a patriarchal rant <laughs> through, through the hour of the show. So people will get that too. Um, but mainly, I just hope people enjoy it. You can't, I mean, we all had that teacher at school, don't, didn't we? You know, the one who came in dressed up as Shakespeare or who, who did whatever. And you still remember their lessons now. Um, and I think the best way to learn history is through enjoyment. Um, so I hope that they they enjoy it and learn something from it. Yeah, definitely. I think we we do always remember those little eccentricities from from teachers. Um, I also think it's interesting what you're saying about almost dismantling those institutions and and looking at why things are like they are today and and turning that on its head and playing with that. I think that's hopefully something that everyone will get out of it as well. Like you say. Smashing the patriarchy, <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> um, you touched on it earlier about your your career and your roots into the arts. Um, and you also mentioned that your school didn't have any drama provision. So what? where did you find that outside of school? Was it like local arts organisations? Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, so I remember going to see my first musical, and about age six, I went to see Joseph in Windsor before it transferred into the West End. And I remember just, I can still feel how excited I was. And every year for my birthday, I was taken to see another musical and I just wanted to do musical theatre. That was just like the be all and end all. So I joined the local like amateur dramatic groups and stuff and did all those cheesy uh, musicals you do as a teenager, you know. And then although we didn't have uh, any drama at school, there were groups of us who got together to put stuff on. So, you know, you would you would um, get together and put on Godspell or Joseph, something, you know, with easy rights that you could put on in a school uh, environment. And then when I went to university, I kind of lost that. Um, I, yeah, I just, I wasn't really into that crowd. And so it kind of fell by the wayside a bit. And because um, I went off to York and uh, went to university and bumbled around there for a while. When I came back to Colchester, I went back to the adult version of the, the Amdram, you know, group and did a few 
musicals, although, uh, yeah, slightly problematic, some of their choices, which was kind of where I chose to stop sort of uh, doing their stuff. But by that point, then I was thinking about, right, I'm going to do a going to do a drama degree, going to become an actor. Um, and yeah, I didn't because I had been to university, could not afford drama school. That wasn't going to happen um, when there were no student loans or anything. So I went to my local um, college, which has a very good musical theatre programme. I did the acting programme, which unfortunately isn't around anymore, but they have a very strong musical theatre programme. And I loved it, like changed my life, changed my whole being. And um, I just thought it was fantastic. And when I left, I, I went into teaching for a little while because I wanted other people to feel as good as I did about, you know, running around a rehearsal room, kind of playing Zip Zap Boing for an hour, you know, that kind of wonderful feeling. Um, and then I started just get ready get the bug again and I was like oh I really want to be performing and I did you know went and did sort of um a lot of kids theatre and stuff and then it yeah just got to that kind of wilderness place that people get to every now and then with their career and they're like what am I doing with my life um which is why I decided to do the masters uh, originally as a playwriting um masters but it then went went a bit skew with <laughs> uh, and I ended up doing performance instead but it's the best thing I've ever done like I couldn't I couldn't recommend it more to any performer who is in that weird especially for female performers they hit this weird point around their kind of 30s where they're they're not being seen for roles of the kind of ingenue anymore but they're not old enough to be seen for like mother roles yet. They're in this kind of gray area. And I think it's a time where a lot of women start to make their own work. Um, and so for anyone who is watching it or guys um, who are in that kind of like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life and my career kind of stage, go do a master's. If you, if you can afford to do it, the government give you loans now go do it, go refocus, make your own work. It'll be fantastic. It will change your life. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's great. I think you're, there's always an opportunity to learn, isn't there? Then there's mm -hmm. always ways that you can do it. Um, I wanted to ask who, who or what are some of your inspirations and your influences? Um, I think, I mean, I really love the work of people like Bryony Kimmings and Bobby Baker. Um, I'd, so I don't really, I've never, I've not been able to kind of pinpoint where I feel that I fit on the side of performance art or theatre. Um, I think it's a grey area anyway. You know, and people like Bryony Kimmings, who, well, and Bobby Baker, whose work really straddles the theatrical uh, now. Um, and I love playwrights. I like, I love the... Um, in your face era of playwriting. I love people who are bold and brash. And I particularly love, I love Anthony Nielsen's probably my favorite playwright um, alongside Beckett because I love the way that words sound. 
Uh, and he's really, he writes in a rhythm that I find really um, pleasing. Um, and he plays with language a lot and he subverts ideas a lot, which is really appealing to me as, as a performer and as a, a writer. Um, I like to subvert too. I think there's a lot in that. Um, yeah, and Dennis Kelly as well, who also does lots of clever little um, bits like that. It's so hard. It's so hard to keep up with people at the moment because there's so much great work coming out. As I, under lockdown, I've been trying to um, keep up with the streams and things, and it's it's impossible. There's so much coming out, but it's really pleasing to see that there is so much work because it's so difficult for everyone. Um, but I wonder if it's actually been quite freeing for some people because work that, that they would have struggled to get put on in a theatre if the world were normal, they've been able to, to create in a Zoom environment and still get it seen and, and read through. And um, yeah, I've gone off on a tangent, but... <laughs> no, it's, it's good. I think there's definitely an element of... Um, arts organizations and theatres and artists taking note of that digital aspect of things and wondering how they can create new work um, that isn't necessarily a film that you'd see on Netflix you know it's it's kind of a hybrid of live theatre theatre but captured on film and I think people are still grappling with that and finding new ways to test that which is quite mm. exciting it's difficult. I mean, because that's one of the issues with filming is because you're not having that that feedback loop from the audience while you're performing. Um, you get that kind of mild panic that starts to set in of like, am I hitting this? Is it good? Like, should I say this line a different way? Um, and I think that's what you, you lose. But, um, you know, I think the like the... Um, like the talent shows and stuff have done that really well, where they've been able to combine a digital audience with the live performance so that the performer is getting some of that feedback. I think that's quite an interesting um, point of view. As a disabled person, it's been great um, because the access to work and workshops over this period has been amazing stuff that I would have never been able to get to beforehand I've been able to enjoy and I really hope that people remember that when we go back to the real world um, I think there is a general kind of disgruntlement in the disabled community uh, about all the access needs that were denied before lockdown, which were put in place during lockdown for able-bodied people. Um, and it's kind of a, well, you could do it, you just wouldn't. And I hope that continues afterwards because it just makes work so much more accessible for people. And financially, because London's expensive and coming into London for everything is not, not ideal for performers. No, I completely agree. I do hope everyone kind of takes note about how important it is. And, you know, it's it's the right thing to do. Um, so I hope that's at the forefront of people's minds. Um, I wanted to ask whether you had anything else coming up at all that we can look out for. Um, not 
yet. I've just started researching the next lecture, uh, as it will be, um, which is going to be about a history of red hair, which sounds quite niche, um, but there's quite a lot of complex politics around red hair. Um, lots of issues of xenophobia and anti-Semitism and um, all sorts of things. So um, I've just got my head down. I'm starting to, to look into that. But doing this has made me um, actually, I was always a bit kind of like, oh, YouTube, I don't know how to work that. But uh, doing this process has made me think, well, maybe I can create chunks for YouTube as well. So that um, I can create these kind of little history moments uh, and put them out there so more people can sort of access it and it's not just kind of boring, straight history. Um, so I'm, I'm looking into that at the moment. But then, yeah, then the next lecture is underway. So we'll see what, what happens with that. And how many people want to come and listen to a ginger person whinge about being ginger for an hour? <laughs> <laughs> I think that sounds amazing. Um, I think you can carve out your own little niche on YouTube. Uh, I think that'd be great. Um, I've got a few quick fire recommendations, if that's all right. Um, can you recommend a TV show? I Zombie, it's great. Sounds awful, but it's great. And a film? Uh, my favourite film is Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. Do not watch if you're squeamish, though. That's the advice. <laughs> and a play? Oh, um, The Wonderful World of Disassocia by Anthony Nielsen. How about an album? Um, the Murder Ballads by Nick Cave. And a book? Anything by Robin Hobb. Robin. Great suggestions. Thank you. Fab. Well, it's really great to talk to you and thank you for joining us. Um, and we wish you all the luck with Hysterical. Brilliant. Thank you. A massive thank you to Rebecca for joining us. Hysterical, a hilarious history of hysteria, will be available to watch from Monday the 29th of March on our website. Just head to stratfordeast.com forward slash hysterical. Thanks for listening.